You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Dana Giraldi, founder of Big Picture Media. In this interview, we discuss her incredible journey interning for companies like Island Records and network management, leading to developing her own PR agency. Their roster is an impressive lineup, which includes 311, Against the Current, Story of the Year, Some 41, Thrice, The Organization to Write Love on Our Arms, and many more. We also get into how to make yourself stand out to publications and what the future holds for PR. Let's get into it. Hey, Dana, how's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, it's funny because we actually met for the first time at South by Southwest earlier this year, and we were both selected as mentors. So South by Southwest, they have this program where I like to call it uh, speed dating mentorship. It's you basically for an hour as a mentor, you sit down and then people come up to you and they have 10 minutes to basically ask you any type of questions. And then they just keep on going through everybody until that hour is up. And we were just hanging out in the green room ahead of time and just have fun. So in fact, it was funny. We were actually being escorted to the, the main room for the mentorship and we we're just chatting like, oh, yeah, like let's trade uh, you know, business cards and so forth. And like that's that's how everything came about. Yeah, it's all about networking, especially in those moments, because, you know, you're surrounded by people that are like already at a great level of success and have something important to say. So, yeah, it's such a pleasure meeting you. So happy to be here. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's you know, networking is so important. I'm especially uh, sure for your position as well, that like relationships are everything when it comes to this business. And you're right. It's like, that's what, like, first of all, I want to say that it is always an honor when I am able to speak or be a mentor at these conferences and just to give back in some form or fashion is, you know, to me has always been the number one thing, but there are other perks that come along with it too. And that is one of them is that I do, you know, it, I am very aware, well, aware, well, effect of that. If I'm a speaker, that I'm going to be hanging out in the green room and and talking to the other speakers, who obviously are also going to have some sort of credibility to them. And I've done a lot of relationship building because of those things. Was it your first South by? No, uh, that was probably my fourth or fifth. I would say. It was so, my thirteenth. Thirteenth. Wow. Thirteenth. <laughs> I did have a four-year break, though. So it was my first year back in four years. Obviously, wow. a lot of people had a break, but that was my first uh, 14th one. Yeah, that that's so you're you're a veteran now. You're definitely, I would put you in the veteran territory. I'm, I'm like that that teenager like yeah. level still, I would say. I like, love it so much, though. I love Austin. I love South. Like, I just, it's such a great festival. I try to be a part of it every year. I just submitted a panel for this coming year as well. Oh, well, good luck to that. Um I, I, I did a submission as well. And uh, I, yeah, I agree. I love going to South by Southwest. It's a very different vibe when it comes to being, you know, there's the conference part, but then there's the festival part and they're separate, but all integrated together. It's, it's really insane on how massive it is and how different it is, even by just going to different aspects of, of the conference. There are years I didn't even enter the like conference center, like the convention center, like because it's you're just so busy. We've had many different varieties of like South Bay experiences where this year it was like probably our most low key. Like we represented 
um, Japanese artist. We represented the Ireland Music Showcase and we represented mm. the Italian Showcase. So we were very wow. international this year, which was cool. Um, but in the past, sometimes we've gone down with 20 different bands and done band wow. and like press for 20. And it's similar to the way that the mentorship, like speed dating is conducted. That's how we do our press. We rent a space, we invite all the press, we do food and beverage and like our bands rotate press person to press person. Smart. Yeah, that's how we get it done in a day or two. That's really, really smart. And it's interesting that you mentioned that it was low key because I felt the same way. And I don't know if it's because the fact that there was a four year break so that every all of our mentality has changed or it was just how everyone felt. But I mean, I was going back to my Airbnb like eight, nine o'clock at night and being happy about it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that was like sure. that never happened before, yeah. you know, beforehand. Like <laughs> usually I'll be out super late going to all these different parties and shows and and I was just like, like, eh, I'm done. Like I got, I felt accomplished today. I got everything I'm done. I'm just going to go back and get a good night's rest and then hit it hard in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. We had some early mornings this year too. So we were in, we were, yeah, we went to bed pretty early, which was nice. But yeah, I, it's nice to have all these conferences coming back now. And I, you know, thoroughly enjoy, I, I do miss meeting people in person. I do miss, you know, being a part of that energy and, you know, cause you know, not only can you be extremely productive, but it's so motivating too. I always come back from those conferences with a, you know, with, with that live. Exactly. A lot of business cards or email addresses, you know, phone so numbers. many, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so many. So when did, was there a moment in time that you knew that you wanted to get into PR? Was there a specific moment that you that you knew this was what you wanted to do? Um, I, you know, I feel, it's crazy because I feel like now you could like Google, like these are the things that I'm good at. What should I do in a career? But like growing up, you did, we didn't have the internet. I was just kind of always the person that was very social, like very good in, in public situations. I loved music and I always really tried to get my friends to like listen to the music that I loved. Um, which like in hindsight, I'm like, I was born to be a publicist, but I really didn't know that that was a thing. And I was going to school for marketing because I loved marketing. I was in DECA in high school. Like I, I just, I love creative brainstorming and coming up with ideas that like didn't exist before, you know, you had an idea. Um, and in, I was working at Chili's as a waitress and a bartender. And I was like kind of complaining about how much math was going to be in my upcoming marketing program because I, I don't enjoy math. And someone was like, oh, she's looking to PR. It's like marketing with no math. And I was like, what? What is PR? What is public relations? What does this even mean? And I went to my counselor and I was like, is there a PR program that I can? She was like, yeah, absolutely. This is it. And that's like truly how it started. It was like, it's my hatred for mathematics that got me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? Yes. Because I got my associate's degree first because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents were like, we're not going to pay for you to go to a four-year school if you don't know what you're doing. So I went to Suffolk County Community College. Um, we're both Long Islanders. Mm -hmm. And I got my associate's degree. And while I was there, I interned at Walt Disney World. I did the college program. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did two years, actually, two summers. And um, I there was courses in entertainment management that I did. Um, you get like your master's and your doctorate from like Disney University. And so I spent my time really going to Disney University while I was on my internship. And I and I loved the entertainment industry. I, I, I was always drawn to it. And so when I was like, okay, I'm going to graduate my associates in liberal arts, what am I doing? I'll go get my bachelor's in PR. And that's kind of how it started. That's amazing. Um... So during that time, though, were you uh, 
you were still, I assume that you were trying to still find opportunities out there, right? Because you, you knew that you had a passion for PR, but then there's a difference between, okay, having a passion for PR and getting education, but then actually going out there and, and practicing it. So uh, were you, you, did you, I know that you took a couple of internships, uh, right? Was that during college? Yes. And it really, my, I, as much as I enjoyed my college education, like I really can't credit it to much of my career success because no one worked in the entertainment industry. Like my professor was constantly pushing real estate and pharmaceutical and financial PR and all of these things that I just was like, I will die if this is where I end up, you know? So we had an internship director at the college and we had this big binder that you'd flip through of like different things. And there was no music industry at all. And so I went to the director of the um, public relations program and I said, Hey, I want to intern at this record label. There's an application process. Like what can, and they were like, they gave me the, the green light to do it, to apply. And, um, I ended up getting uh, getting it and getting credit for it, which was really nice because I was able to at least do something that I was excited about. And that just meant like, you know, schlepping on the Long Island Railroad into the city three days a week. And I was obviously still living with my parents at the time. And um, my first one was Island Records. And I, I really just chose that because Thrice and Sum 41 were on the label and those are some of my favorite bands and I so I would just open a CD and be like okay they're on this label this is where I want to try to work and the first internship was in A&R which I didn't even know what it was when I went in and interviewed but the guy that interviewed me his little sister had just graduated from the Disney college program so we had that like great connection and um and I got hired and I will tell you, I was the only woman in the entire department and I was wow. like a little bit scared, you know, at the time. <clears throat> and I left and he kind of ran out to the elevator and was like, yeah, you got it, you got it, you got it. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So um, I spent most of my days calling local record stores and asking what was selling. And that was what I did. And then I kind of created this Excel spreadsheet where I would take the data that I found and input it. And it ended up like, and they were really excited about it and they ended up using it for like years after. And I'm still Facebook friends with Mike Simons, who was the guy that I worked directly under, which is so cool. But, That's amazing. Yeah. What, um, so this was essentially your first foray into the music industry. Do you recall a lesson that you learned during that experience? I remember feeling like I couldn't believe that they left so much power to the interns, specifically because people would send unsolicited music and I would get to listen to it. And there was like a pass pile or like a put through pile that it got to the ears of like someone who did A&R at a major label. And like, I had no idea like that someone of like me could like that sort of power. And I would always, I would, I would feel terrible putting things in the past pile, but, I, and I also feel like it's so um, subjective, like depending on what you listen to, what you like and what you don't like, but like I knew what Island had and, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I tried to just be as like open-minded as possible, you know? Um, I, I don't necessarily know if I learned any crazy lessons or I was right next door to Def Jam and there was always so much pot smoke coming through. And I remember being <laughs> like, this is oh no, I have a really good memory though. I, yeah. I just marked the memory. Yeah. I got invited to Mariah Carey's listening album listening party and everybody went and, and Jay-Z was there. And it was insane. And there was champagne and strawberries. And I remember standing there, you know, playing her record. She was there too. 
And I was like more starstruck about Jay-Z though. And I remember being like, what's the level of like enjoyment that I could show here? Am I supposed to be like, you know, or am I supposed to just like be like more cordial and poised? Like I remember being like, I wasn't sure how to move my body, but I remember like walking out of that meeting, like running to the bathroom, like calling my husband, my boyfriend, time, my husband now. I mean, like I just had the craziest experience of my life. Like, I don't know. It was so cool. And I, obviously I, that was like the very first taste I had and I was hooked. Hooked. <laughs> I knew I didn't want to do A&R though, at least I, that was very, very obvious to me. Well, why not? If you don't mind asking. I felt like I didn't have the like musical ear, you know, like I just didn't know, like I know to me, like I know I can listen to 12 songs and be like, oh, this is the hit. Like this is the single, but I didn't have like so many of the the people that I worked for would be going into the studio and talking about the bass and the guitar and the drums. And I just like felt like I didn't like have that background. That makes sense. So then after Island, where, where did you go next? So I did, uh, I don't think it was the very next semester, but the semester after I interned at network management to just try my hand at management. And I went there again, cause some 41 brand new Dido, like they were all on the roster, Blink-22. And, um, and I, that was really cool. Like I, again, I had like a ton of just like freedom and responsibility at the same time where I would, one of the days I, my entire day that day I spent, um, it was like Jesse Lacey's birthday coming up and I just like made him birthday CDs for his birthday. And um, I would just run errands, you know, build press kits, like just things like that. Like it, to me, it was like, oh, this is cool. I, I didn't really get involved in, with the artists at all. Trent Reznor came in one day and we had the same birthday. So I got to walk him into a meeting little things like that. They're just like, you know, it sounds so silly now. Like, <laughs> but then I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. You know, every day was different. I love that so much. I mean, and then also I, you know, PRs like that too, I would assume is that, you know, where every day is, can be very, very different from the each, you know, from, and, and this was also interesting too, is like you mentioned, you were doing, you're creating press kits, even in management. And there's so much overlap when it comes to label management, PR, even yeah. the lawyer sometimes take on some of those responsibilities. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So um, any, any uh, stories or lessons from your experience over at network? Oh my gosh, I remember, no, it's just like a stupid one, but it's, I was asked to have key copies made of keys and it was a special key that had like this, like on the, the, the physical key part, there was this little like divot thing and it had to be taken to a special place. And I didn't know my way around the city. I ended up being gone for like four hours and I should have just like right away asked more questions about like where I was going. And like, she just gave me a Metro card and like an address and was like, here you go. And I'm like, I don't, this is like, what year is this? This has to be like 2000 and like two, maybe. I don't know where I'm going. Like in the city, there was like no maps. Like I, you know, like, so th that was it. That was my biggest takeaway. was like, I should have asked more questions. And even today when we're like training interns, I'm like, don't ever feel bad about asking me questions. I, I would rather you ask me a hundred questions about the same thing than like be confused or be stuck or feel, you know, so. I a hundred percent agree. That's something that I tell not only my interns, but I, I teach a number of classes and uh, that's something I always tell my students is please ask questions. You can never ask too many questions. I want you to ask questions. For sure. So it's interesting because you went and it actually makes sense that you went to, you know, record label first and went into management and then eventually you went over to a uh, PR agency. So can you talk about that transition over um, to PR? 
Yeah. So, you know, I had about two weeks left to graduate. And I remember just being devastated because so many of my friends at school had already had jobs lined up, none of which were in entertainment, but just, you know, that they had that like feeling of completion and, and their like security was like at ease because they were like, okay, I've got this. And I would just remember like being so sad. And my first job out of college, the first person that called me was this very small PR agency called Steven Style Group. It doesn't exist anymore. It was on like 33rd and between 6th and 7th. And it. I went on the interview and they did a bunch of different things. They did children's toys. They did ch- candy, literature, technology, and then a little bit of music. So I was hired to work on music and they hired me as like a junior account executive or something like that. And within six months, I was literally doing all of the all of the jobs. Like, truly, I I was doing dolphin books. I was doing pop rocks, and then I had a couple of different small artists. One of which was called the Gems, and it was like an eight piece like children's dance pop group. Um, and I had Dream Street, which was like Jesse McCartney's like first project um, with Chris Truesdale. And I was just a lot of like calling Disney, you know, writing press releases and faxing them because like you didn't really use your computer in, in that way. Oh my gosh. And like the the database that we had, which was a decision now, which we use as our like media, you know, Bible, they were printed books that we'd have to flip through. They'd come like in the mail, like every couple of weeks. Yeah. So that was very small. That was very short-lived. It was a pretty unhealthy working environment. Um and I just knew I had to go because it was like my boss was pretty unhinged. And um, <clears throat> I applied at Press Here, which at the time was called KSA Public Relations before they had their name change. And I interviewed probably four or five times. And I think in the end, what it came down to was like this, like just the personality and the vibe and the energy and the passion, because I didn't really have the experience that they were looking for. Um, especially with the artists I had done and it just was nothing that, that would ever be on their roster, you know, but I, I love music and I was like, I would just give anything to learn. Cause I walked in and it's like, there's magazine covers of Fiona Apple and Gwen Stefani. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Um, and then, so I gave it my all and I did eventually get hired and, um, I spent a little over two years there and I learned from like the best publicists in the industry. I learned from Carleen Donovan, Jenna Pell, Chloe Walsh, like truly the, like three of the best top tier A-list publicists. And they just taught me everything. And they were open and honest with me about things that I needed to learn, critique, how to behave on a press day, how to run a red carpet. And my boss was very trusting and she put a lot on me and I had, eventually I got promoted and I ended up overseeing the junior publicists. And so there was a lot of different things that I learned that eventually ended up coming with me to big picture, but in different ways, because I didn't necessarily love the way that the company was run. And it to me now saying that at my age and like the experience, I'm like, what did I even know then? But like, I knew enough to know that like, this wasn't right and what I wanted to do. So um, it, should I just kind of move on to big picture? Yeah, might as well. Go for <laughs> <Should> it. <we> stop? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so after about two and a half years, 
I was so grateful for my time there and truly everything that I had learned, but I felt like my boss did not allow me to work on projects that I wanted to work on because the fee wasn't high enough. And I understand that as a business owner, like, you know, there's overhead and, but as a publicist, like you want to work on projects that you are excited about. And for me, just to bring things full circle, we had a pass bin and like another bin where you could take CDs out of and listen to them. And if you were passionate about it, you could work on it. Dustin Kensrue, who was the singer of Thrice, had a solo record and it was in the pass pile. And I like nearly had a heart attack. And I was like, this is the the singer of my favorite band, the band that I interned to Island Records for. Can we please take a meeting? Can we please take a meeting? And so my boss reached out, got them to come in for a meeting. They probably met with six publicists that day at six different agencies. I was myself in the meeting. I explained how I found the band through my husband and how we've seen an excellent show. I mean, I was just so open and honest and excited. And they left and my boss was like, you're not going to get that. You were just, you were, wore your heart on this to your sleeve, you, that you were too overzealous. You're not going to get that. And I was like, oh my God, I like thought I did a good job, you know? And lo and behold, I got the project. So in the end, it was kind of like a moment where I felt like I had validated at least my feelings of like this, a publicist can be this way. And she would always say to me, like, you need to be more aloof. You need to not be so available. Like, just like to me, the worst things you could ever say to somebody about representing a client. So um, that campaign went awesome. And we ended up getting uh, Leno and Letterman for an alternative singer doing a solo project that was like very rare back then. So it really put me on the map with like, bands in our scene in my scene like in the emo rock scene um and things just started to really grow where like originally when I started working there I was working on spin doctors and I was working on just like different projects but slowly but surely I started to get the bands that I loved and then I started to just reach out and be like hey I'm I work here I'm a huge fan and I had like Circus Survive I had Two Right Love and Arms I had um Dustin from Thrice I had the receiving into Sirens I had um Oh my gosh, so many. It's just like a ton of those bands. And eventually I was like, okay, I feel like I've established myself enough now that I can go. So in the end, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back was I had a band that came in that wanted to work with me. And I think they only had like half of the retainer that she wanted me to get paid for per month. And she told me I couldn't work on it. And I was like, this is insane. Like I, if I literally had just this client, I wouldn't care like on my own, you know? So I did it the right way. Cause I was under contract. I had signed an agreement and um, it said that I was unable to start a PR agency or, or even work at another PR agency. If they are illegal now, you can't even have these contracts anymore right. um, in the state of New York. So what did I do? I moved to Massachusetts with my husband my boyfriend at the time. I lived there for three months. I started big picture and I did it all the right way. I waited for all of my contracts to end with the clients that I had previously. And then I reached out and said, I'm going on my own. This is what my plan is. This is what we're going to do. And I ended up having like in three months, like 13 clients. Um, and that was when we were kind of talking about earlier, but this is, this was the moment where my husband who, you know, was a house painter, but a singer of a hardcore band, I was like, so do you want to learn about PR? Because you are now officially going to help me with big picture. And it was very short lived. He is not a publicist. We are very yin and yang, uh, but he did help me at least get the company off the ground. 
That's incredible. And we're definitely going to talk about that in a second too. Cause I, cause I not only was his, his involvement, but you've done other things with him too. So, which is also incredible, but I just love the fact that you, you left on good terms. And I think that is so important because one of the things that I've I learned, her, I, I honestly, I think I gave her four months notice. Wow. I didn't want my clients to suffer either. Cause I've, I saw that go down too, where publicists leave with no notice and then the campaign suffers and the clients, yeah. and I had such good relationships with my clients. That I didn't want them to feel like I was abandoning them. So sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. I, it, that's also important too, is, is, is even if you felt that that environment was no longer the good, the right fit for you, you left on good terms and you were respectful about it. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that the higher you go up in this industry, the smaller it gets and people talk, right? You know, people talk about their experiences with other people. And if you burn bridges, people will know about it. Oh, you know, for sure. that word gets around. And so it's, and you never know what the future is going to bring, right? It's like the fact that you were able to maintain that, you know, that integrity with, you know, your prior employer, right? When you, when it was the right moment to reach out to, you know, who, who knows, who knows your clients who, you know, going back and, ch and checking with press here to see how thing, you know, things were left, who knows what conversations were being had, had behind closed doors. Right. Um, but obviously it, it attributes to you and how you treat others in the industry. And that's an amazing reflection on yourself and how professional you are, because I'm sure that it definitely attunes to your success. Thank you. <laughs> it's true though. It's like, that's, that's, it's, it's so very true. Right. And, and it, and that's the thing is like, it does, it does require effort to do so, but it really doesn't at the same time. It's just being mindful and about that's others. Being and, a good person. Yeah. I mean, stop, hard stop. Like just like being a good person and like having manners and respect for other people. And that's really it. I want to also talk about too, about building a team because, you know, yes, like those, you know, it has, you know, especially when it's your own company, right? It, 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 I like to say this is that when, when something fails, when something goes wrong, it's always going to be hundred percent your fault, but when something goes right, it's a hundred percent everybody, <laughs> right? It's like if the successes are shared by your entire team and your failures ultimately are on you. Whether it's, you know, even if it's somebody else that has failed, you're the one who's hired them to be on your team. So it's still, it's still reflecting on you. So, um, so, you know, you, your success is based upon your own team as well. So you can talk about, you know, coming from, did that not come? Of course, yeah, I, of course we were talking about that right before we started, yeah. we knew that, yeah. that that was going to come into the picture at some point. Um, yes, I, I could not agree with you more like wholeheartedly. And I am so grateful for them and, and all of the different years of them to front, you know, we're 16 and a half years now, which is insane. Um, but from like my very first hire, my very first full-time hire who, you know, has gone on to do incredible, mo I would say most of them that have left big picture have gone on to do incredible things. Um, but we have kept a close relationship and ultimately like, I am not necessarily, I guess I'm not necessarily looking for the experience, but I'm looking for the person because I really can train someone how to be a publicist. Like there are some innate things that you need and you need to recognize them, but ultimately at the end of the day, like I rely on them. They rely on me. Like I will train them and, and 
be here, but I want them to grow and to flourish and to just like find their footing. And so everyone that works at Big Picture has like a core foundation of like who we are. We've got our mission statement. We've got our like BPM core values. Like they, and if they don't check those boxes, like it's probably not going to work because I, I love work. I love my job. I expect the same from them. And like, I do have a very high level of expectations when it comes to like output and like the amount of work that gets done in a day and the the way that we handle our client relationships. So I know very early on, like it probably was the first like 15 minutes of meeting someone if they're like going to vibe a big picture or not, because we're, we're always like this, like they're, they're all like this, like high energy, very excited, grateful, passionate, but you have to be a strong writer. You have to be a good multitasker, which we kind of talked about earlier. Mm. Um, and you have to really have vision and like also not be afraid to speak up if you need to. So, you know, there's a lot of different elements I think that go into PR. Um, but I can tell you from, you know, just like Natalie Schaefer, for example, she's been with Big Picture for 10 years. Becky Kovach wow. has been with Big Picture for 10 years. Like Becky was an intern, I think in her sophomore year at NYU. And I was like, this girl, like I knew it. I knew right away. And then she came back and interned a second time. And I, I offered her a job before she even graduated college because I was, and we joke like that she's chained to her desk and like she can't ever leave. Um, but she's brilliant and she's so good at what she does. And she has built such a reputation. If when I met with her, you know, 12 years ago when she was just an intern and I was like, who are your favorite bands? Every single one of them that she told me 12 years ago is a client of hers now. Wow. And I'm not kidding you. Like, Bayside, um, um, oh my God, there, there's so many. I she would kill me if I didn't. Motion City soundtrack. Um, oh my gosh, wait, no, there's so there's so many, there's so many. They're all tattooed <laughs> all over her. She would get so many. But there, she truly has like made her dreams come true. Like while a big picture, because she went and she you know trusted in me and trusted in the company that this was a place where she could see herself, and she's awesome. I mean, she went on Warp Tour, like she represented Warp Tour for years. And then Natalie, that story is great too, because Natalie was an in-house publicist at Hopeless Records. And I was doing projects at Hopeless. So we had worked together on a couple of things. And then I eventually opened an LA office of Big Picture in like 2013. And I moved out there for a couple of years and she came and worked at Big Picture uh, in our LA office. And then we all moved back to New York together in like 2015. And she's still with me today. And wow. she's, she's got the Mars full. I mean, she's got the the greatest roster too. So yeah, everyone's so important. I, I can't tell, I can't stress enough how like vital of a role that they play. And like throughout my, the changes of my like adult life, like being, becoming a mother and like going on maternity leave, like I really struggled early on with delegating and like setting boundaries for myself, but like becoming a mom really helps you do that like very quickly um and I wouldn't have been able to I think survive had it not been for like the trust that I have in them and the trust that they have in me and just like having open and honest relationship and um so yeah I love them all so much so inappropriate to say you can't really say you like I love you but I like love them all so much today Kaylee woke up with a fever and she's like I'm gonna be all in I'm like just take the freaking day off don't you're sick like Take yeah. your time, take your day off. Like we're going to be okay. Tomorrow's a new day. Like you have a fever, please don't come to work today. You know, like, and that's just a testament to like their 
conviction to this job. <laughs> like they love it. So, uh, but that's the, I think that's the point, right? Is like you're providing your your you show your care for for your team, and they're gonna you know and they're gonna go above and beyond because the fact that you're taking care of them, they're gonna take care of you too, right? It, it is. Yeah, send you do you need mucinex do you need chicken soup (laughs) and that's the mother in me too like I tend to like you know like I I love medicine I like I love like like being a doc pretending I'm a doctor um and like diagnosing things and so like anytime anyone has one ailment I'm like let me help you with this this is what you need this you know so (laughs) yeah uh, I do love taking care of them sometimes I'm like okay sorry I'll step back (laughs) but still it's it's good you know that you're you know you're looking out for their own well-being right and you know I mean I, like I think I, Kaylee she just she moved to New York City like for this job like from Grand Rapids Michigan and she just wow. you know like that's a scary thing to do being from the Midwest and like moving to New York starting a new job like I I have to look out for them like I I you know I I know it's like unhealthy at this like current age to say like oh we're like family but like we really do spend so much time together they know everything about me and my family like I can't for my kids running in on zoom meetings to me being like, I'm running late, you know, like they, yeah, it's, it's just how it is. It's a different vibe than probably most, but it works for us. It is. And I want to say that it, you made, made a mention about the using the word family. And I think what happened was it got misused where some would consider them family for out of the expectation of their co you know, their coworkers, their employees to go above and beyond for the job, but they weren't really doing anything in return in kind. And I, and I'm a big believer. I'm also a very big believer in that I should be doing more for my team than they're even doing for me, because that's going to just like, that's the kind of person that I am, right? I want, you know, want to support them and give them as much possibility of success as possible. To me, that is family, right? That to me, it's like, I'm taking care of you you know, what your needs are and so forth. And if they return that back, great. You know, like that's what obviously we always hope for, but it, I never, but it's never an expectation. You know, it's like, that's just how I am. And I think in that case scenario, it is like a family, right? It's like that you go through thick and, you know, both the best and worst scenarios and you're just there to support them and to make sure that they're succeeding in anything that they do in life. And even if that, that means at some point in time, that they're going to move on to something else. And, you know, to me, that that is the core of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we've been, you can't work with people for this long and not have been through family crises and breakups and moving drama and sickness and health. Like there's, there's, it exists. It is, it's just true real life, you know, like at the end of the day, this is just a job, but that is real life. And there's a lot of intertwining and um, yeah. You also talked about before about multitasking, which is always a great one because I I've heard from so many people about the pros and cons of multitasking that some say that when you multitask too many times, you're really not getting enough done. And then, you know, and you need to be focused on the one thing, get that done first. And then um, there's the others that are saying, oh, well, I, you know, there are so many things that need to be done. I'm going all over, all over the place. So, um, well, I think I agree to an extent with both. And I tell mm-hmm. you that the, the only way that one can multitask is if you have one to-do list. So if you're to do, so like I live in by my, my to-do list and my calendar, like if it's not on there, it like doesn't exist. And this is true, like how I train my staff and, and mostly how they usually come into big picture is like, you need one place for everything to exist. And like, out of like what my to-do list will look like today, there's a, uh, I don't know, 
33 things on it and they're all different things. And yes, you kind of jump from one to the other, but as long as you're getting crossed off or highlighted, cause we're all very physical at big picture. Like we all love our like tangible books where they're highlighters. And I have so many markers and different color <laughs> things, but, um, so yes, you can multitask. Like I can, I'm not talking in a sense of like being on a zoom and answering an email because like, that's not healthy for anybody. Like, cause you're going right. to mess up. And, or like if I'm like having a night where I can't sleep and I'm sending like 1am emails with spelling errors, like that's not healthy. Um, but I do think for our job, like our phone could ring at any point throughout the day. We're in the middle of something else. We have to be able to like put a pin in that jump to this and prior priority. So like for me, mm -hmm. And the way that I teach my staff, but also even like with my daughter and her schoolwork is like, write out your list and start with the hardest thing, because that's when you're going to, or, or figure out where you're most productive within your day. So some people have like the three o'clock lull, some people get like supercharged at five o'clock. So figure out like what works best for you and then put the chunk of the hardest thing within that space, you know? So I, yeah, I, I. I think multitasking is just part of our job, but like you have to be able to do it in an organized, like controlled chaos fashion. That makes sense. Uh, it does make sense. And it sounds like that, uh, cause I, I was reading that you also were a bartender during uh, college as well. And that you would have to multitask during like as a bartender waitress as well. So many things. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, I mean, it's crazy to think because I've never seen another Chili's be as busy as the Chili's, but I opened a Chili's in Long Island on in Setauket, mm -hmm. like where it is by the Target off 347. And we would be four rows of people deep at this Chili's. Like I would wow. literally be like, it was crazy. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Like chain restaurants. I don't think, I don't know why it was so busy. We did have two for one beers and margaritas, but like, yes, okay. like there were that might explain to be like, <laughs> I probably served 500 people tonight. Like, why was this chili so busy? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think just work ethic. And I think it all really kind of, you know, I used to go to work with my dad when I was very young. He owned a hair salon in Queens. And so I would drive all the way out with him. I'd work all day, just like sweeping and cleaning like the hair stations. And I would make like 15 bucks and I would be like on top of the world. I got to spend time with my dad. I got to work. I got to make money and so I feel like having a good work ethic and understanding like, you know, the concept of like, I have to get everything done in a small amount of time. How can I do that? Well, I have to multitask, but do it in a way that like makes sense. Absolutely. The other thing about multitasking, and this is slightly different, but I think still important is that it multitasking also means not necessarily multiple different tasks to me, but also like, like multi role, I'll say multi roles. Instead, whereas like you are also, you know, as you mentioned before, like wearing multiple hats on different uh, different things um, is that that uh, that I also find very congruent into multitasking where you may be changing your roles, you know, constantly between different projects or, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just comes with like experience, maybe like being able to do that seamlessly where you're not feeling insane, you know, but mm -hmm. yes, there are. Yes. So like there's big picture, right? Like mm -hmm. I say, I have like five full-time jobs. I have big picture, which I run as a company, but then I'm also a publicist. So I have my own roster of clients that I do PR for. Then I've got my management company where I manage two artists. They're very different, but completely different genres. And then I've got the record label, which, you know, we've got like five artists on it now. Um, and then I'm a wife 
and then I've got two kids. I, and then I'm like, oh, I'm, I have a house. I've got two dogs, a bunny. Like, yeah. So when you talk about like changing of the roles, I do struggle with the work family meshing. And I'm the first to say that where like, if I'm at work, I'm at work and I can't do any family stuff. I'm also not good when I'm like with the family. And then like, I have to get a phone call or like, I have to like leave the room. Like I, cause I, my brain doesn't work. I'm a very different person at work than I am with the family. Cause I'm like, I think I bring the same level of like energy and animation, but it's just like completely two different universes, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of hats, lots of different hats. How do you try to manage that work-life balance uh, between your family life and, and work life? Like, do you, you know, do you take vacations and breaks? Like, how do you try to keep, keep that all in check? I don't even know if there's like a secret sauce. I feel like I'm doing a terrible job at it all the time. I just think that, you know, being a mom, you just, I, you don't want to miss anything. Right. And, but I also like have worked my entire life to get here in my career. My kids know how important my job is to me. Um, but I don't think at the end of the day, there's ever been a day where I'm like, I, I feel great about the amount of time that I did this and this, you know? So I don't know. It's a constant struggle. It's a, it's a push and a pull of like, again, prioritizing, like what's, i would never miss a play. I'd never miss a meeting. I would never miss a pickup at school. Like no matter what it is, like they, that comes first and everybody knows that. And that should be that way. Family first. Mm-hmm. However, like, you know, if I have to go on a trip or something like they, they it never gets easier. Like I say goodbye and it it only gets harder every time I go. So I don't know if I'll ever figure it out, but I, I do the best I can. And I have to just like kind of make peace that that's like the best I could do. You know, when I'm mm-hmm. here, I'm working. And when I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids, you know, and you've if also- someone, if someone really does find though that like magical potion. Oh my gosh. But I think, I think you're right. I think, I think it's, it's different for everybody. Right. And you know, some people, you know, it, 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 I think it's always a challenge and it's constantly a challenge to, to keep that in check. You know, what, you know, having, you know, I'm sure even having a family is, you know, it makes it a lot more complex when you're trying to keep that balance, but still like, it's just, it's just very important to have. And I think it does constantly change and it's, oh, you know, it's a constant challenge. Yeah. I am very, grateful that I started the company when I did because I had, I mean, I started in 07. I I didn't become a mom until 2013. So I I mean, like I work a lot now, like it was borderline unhealthy, the amount of work that I did at the, to get big picture off the ground, like, and, and not unhealthy in a way that I ever knew I ever felt unhealthy or I never thought it was unhealthy, but like looking back, like I, I didn't ever take breaks. I never took vacations. I never, I ate at my desk every day. Like I never took a walk. Like, and I'm like, Oh man, I, I was like in my early twenties. Like I probably should have been doing, but all my events were work events and you know, work dinners and work. So, but it, you know, it, it is, it took what it needed to take to get me to this point where like, now I do have freedoms and I can take family vacation. We're taking our first family vacation next week. And I'm so excited. So, oh, very, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a constant evolution of like the kids growing and what they need for me or my husband. And so just always making sure that I'm there for them is like the most important thing. So that's how my family was for me. That's how I, we are so close. We're uncomfortably close. And that's how I want my kids to feel that like, no matter what, they don't have to think twice, I will be there. 
You've also, because you, we talked about before that your, you know, your husband was, you know, working for a time with Big Big Big, Big Catcher, but you've also done some other projects with him too, including, and this is where the multi roles come in. You actually uh, produced uh, a horror film, <laughs> so can you, and as it's well as some music videos too. Can you talk about being in that yeah. role? Yeah. So he still is actually at Big Picture. He's our general hmm. manager. So he does all of our invoicing. He does like the staff onboarding, all that stuff. He still is. It's, a, it's minimal at this point. Like he doesn't really have nothing to do with PR. He's strictly just like back end stuff. Um, but when we met, he sang in a hardcore band, this band called Grudge Holder out of Boston. And they were awesome. He had a ton of success. They were signed to a label. They toured. He had a bunch of friends in New York. And that's ultimately how we met was he lived in a house with my brother, who's a musician. Um, and he just was a brilliant lyricist, like a brilliant writer. And one day he had a horrible nightmare that he woke up. Well, he woke up basically in sweat and just like ran over and started writing things down like feverishly. And, and it was that he was kidnapped by an ambulance and like put in a, the back of an ambulance was like a meat grinder and they put him through the, okay. So it's a horror movie. Let me say that first. Mm. Um, and so he wrote this film. And it was great. And it got optioned to a company that had it and eventually went under the company. So they gave us the film back. And at that point, we were like, we're done wasting time. Let's try to just raise the money ourselves. So we did, I think, a Kickstarter or GoFundMe, um, raised a little bit of money. We got LOIs from Miley Cyrus's sister, Brandy Cyrus, which is like a letter of intent that if mm -hmm. we want to raise the money, she'll be in the film. Um, we got Kane Hodder, who's Jason Voorhees in all of the Friday the 13th, and Bill Mosley, who was in Devil's Rejects and is Rob Zombie's guy, to play brothers. So the film is called Old 37. It's about two brothers that intercept 911 calls in an old ambulance. So you're in trouble. You hear the sirens. You think help is on the way. It's really them coming, and they do horrible things to you. Um, so it was a brilliant film. Great, like, obviously great pitch we just decided to raise the money ourselves. So we went far and wide. We took meetings with everybody. We ended up raising a little over a million dollars just by like us pitching and people believing in the project. And so I did, I probably brought in half a million dollars in like different donations. So wow. um, at, the, at that point when it was time to film, I was seven months pregnant and Hurricane Sandy had hit Long Island. So wow. It was a nightmare. Um, all the hotels were taken. All the rental cars were gone. The, some of the locations that we were locked into shoot were destroyed. Um, so it was like a, a big struggle. Um, but he, we did it. We shot the film. It got uh, picked up and distributed by Epic Pictures. And we did a ton of festivals. It won like Best Kill at Comic-Con. It won um, a Best Feature at Horror Hound. So it, it, it did great. It did great. It, I, ultimately, in the end, it took a lot out of him because he had a falling out with the director and he ended up having to do a lot of the b-roll stuff himself but it put him on the map and he started to get a lot more work um and he had this equipment so we were like let's do music videos and so we had so many of our clients that needed videos and he would just be like yeah i'll do it for 500 bucks so then again you know i'm just out here producing finding locations finding craft services finding wardrobe finding hair so we complement each other really really well we work super well together i don't think a lot of couples could truly survive like the amount of time that we spend together and the crossover and don't get me wrong there are days like he wants to bring my neck and vice versa um but we understand at the end of the day like we are a married couple like again family first you know work always comes second but we are here to support each other and like even taking it back even further when I was in college 
and interning full-time one or two internships and working at Chili's he would paint houses and he would help me support me financially and pay our rent so like we've been through it all it's been 20 years and he's awesome and he uh he's got a lot of different projects right now he's producing a reality tv show on record stores and the launch and the rise of vinyl it's called record stories he's got a uh, feature film he's working on called director's cut which has so much tie into big picture and the label but it's about this band that goes to shoot a a music video and the guys the director's not a good guy another horror and we created the band and we were releasing the band's music on our label and the bands in masks so it's like there's a lot of really cool that's really, really cool. Yeah. A lot of projects. <laughs> so one of the things that I really noticed about, about your entire journey is that you, know, you you put yourself out there so much in not only just you know getting the, the jobs that you have done, but then also going off on your own and then acquiring those clients. But then even to the point of not only, you know, of course, you wouldn't be successful, you weren't securing you know, press and publications for your clients. But in addition to that, you also were able to raise a million dollars for, you know, for independent film, which is also very challenging to do. You know, that's, that's extremely difficult to do. So to bring this around here is that, you know, when a lot of these individuals that you're reaching out to, they're getting constantly bombarded with incoming messages from all these people that are either looking for funding or looking for coverage, whatever the case is what do you attribute to making sure that when you're reaching out that you're standing out amongst everybody else? Such a good question. And I feel like it just comes down to like authenticity in the end, like, and just being like a genuine person, like putting it all out there, like not being afraid to share your, your true feelings or your true emotions about something. Like I have literally written pitches that are like, this band is so good. If you don't listen to this, you're dumb. No, I, I mean, I not, have not written that, but like <laughs> ultimate, like standing on top of mountains and like taking, like, you know, just going to the lengths of like not taking like no for an answer, like just being, like, I know, okay, maybe you can't do this, but try this or like believing in a project so much that you're so ingrained that like if something doesn't happen, like it's going to kill you, you know? Um, And I think with big picture specifically, like kind of what does set us apart from other agencies is we really like, yes, we obviously takes good music and it takes good songs and it takes a great reputation and all that stuff. But we try to figure out what it is outside of the music that like the, is the band and really tells the band's story. And so when we are onboarding a project, like we ask 7,000 questions, like, what are you, what are your inspirations? What do you love boats? What does this tattoo mean? What's your dog's favorite snack? Like this, we just want to know everything because it only is going to make our pitch that much stronger. And like when, and if opportunities come across our desk, we're like, oh my gosh, that's, that makes sense for this artist. And we share company wide. So, you know, we have a staff meeting every single week where we talk about all of our projects, but every person at big picture has their own rosters. They all know who works on what. And like, no one is ever alone on an Island. And that was just one of those things I was just to kind of harken back earlier of like the way that I felt being at a different agency and what, how I modeled big picture to not be that I felt very alone. And I felt like she would pin publicists against each other. And that's like the opposite of what I ever wanted to do. I wanted us all to work collectively and feel like no matter what you could bring any question to the table and somebody would help you. Um, And I think 
we all help, but we all give each other like, Hey, can I get eyes on this pitch really quick? Can I get, you know, just to make sure that it is coming through in the best way possible, because there is so much oversaturation. Everyone owns a PR agency. Now there's so many bands, like there's so many different projects that are so similar. And I think also on the flip side, taking the time to know the journalist, taking the time to know maybe the angel investor that you're pitching on the film, like, because why, you know, if you're going to go to someone that writes about metal and pitch them like a singer songwriter, it's that's a drag and delete. And then it's also them being like, oh, they don't even know who I am. So we take as much time investing in getting to know our bands as we do, like getting to know the people on the receiving end of those emails. I think mm-hmm. it's equally important. Absolutely. And uh, it's funny because it reminds me of a story that, you know, that you could still also not get to the right, like still not get a response, even doing all that. It's like, but that gives you the, the greatest chance for success, right? I remember one story is um, there was a, a particular uh, publication that I wanted to get. Uh, we just re- uh, released a full-length album from one of our bands and we found a journalist and it was a very prominent um, a magazine. And we knew, like I was doing my research into that person and knew that they would be the perfect fit. They were into like aliens, which the band is really into aliens and things like that too. Because I was checking their Twitter out and they were, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, I, it, I think that I thought that the music would be really, really a good fit for what you know this person wrote. So I emailed that. So email that person didn't get a response back. Emailed them again, didn't get a response back, and just gave them all the information, like you know, all the whole drill, like very straight to the point. But gave them like a link to the press kit, everything. And then um, their headquarters is uh, is in New York City. So I was visiting New York. And so I told them, I was actually, I remember this, I was at a coffee shop and I emailed them one more time. And I said, Hey, I'm in the area. I would love to just swing by and, and just say, you know, and, and deliver a pack, like deliver a package. And I printed out ahead of time, um, like, uh, the, you know, one sheet and I put like some things in there. We even had, um, the album on a USB stick, but it was a, uh, looked like a key, like a metal key. Cause that's one of the songs It's called the key. So I put that in there and like a CD and everything like made this really nice package and found out where they were located. So went to the building and there was a, you know, when there was a security at, at the, at the lobby and they mentioned, uh, who you fear for. And I mentioned the magazine and, and I showed them the package. I was just going to deliver the package and they go, Oh, they saw the name on it, like, oh, you know, so-and-so? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so they, they said, oh, okay, yeah, it's on this floor. So I went up to the floor, went into, you know, into their, you know, their office and was looking for somebody to speak to. Everyone was just kind of running around doing things. And somebody said, oh, are you looking for somebody? I said, oh, yeah, I'm looking for so-and-so. And they saw the package and they said, oh, is that, is that for her? And I said, yeah, and they said, "Okay, we'll get, we'll give it to her. That's fine." And I, I missed my, I missed my moment. I missed my mark because I was trying to see if I could actually meet that person. So I took the package, went back, followed with another email, letting them know I delivered the package. Still, not a single response. <laughs> it's so hard, but you got far, and you didn't give yeah. up. You didn't. No, give I up. didn't give up. I did not give up. But I love telling that story because of that reason. Is that. Yeah. You know, I even going as far as I did and knowing that they were being a great fit, it still doesn't guarantee it. But it doesn't. But at the same token, though, it's like if you don't do those things, you're really not going to make, you know, you're really not going to get many responses. And it is it is a, a, a unfortunate part of our business It's like we can pitch five, six, seven times and hear nothing back. And like, that's mm-hmm. a bummer. And then, you know, you, you know, because I think in the end, artists or managers or labels, whoever are hiring us for our connections and for our relationships and 
trusting us that we know like the places to go with those artists and so yeah that that does happen and it sucks and it's like you just have to like okay accept it and like pivot okay where else could I go that would make and kind of start all over again rewrite your pitch attach a different photo ask the band let's brainstorm some more content ideas but yeah that is just um one of the unfortunate elements of the job I would like to talk about the current landscape of PR, in fact, right now, because I think that now, especially back in since the you know mid to early 2000s, it's very, very different landscape uh, now than it was back then. So you can talk about on that fact and you know what do you feel the current landscape is in PR and where do you see it going in the future? Yeah, I mean, I will say like over the last couple of years, there's been a lot, but the, uh, I think the folding of publications um, and like print kind of dying, there has been a lot of journalists that have moved over into PR. Like we've seen a lot of that. Mm. And then some that do both still. Um, I'm like, that's slightly a conflict of interest in my eyes. Um, however, it works. And sometimes it works out in our favor, which is great. I think the most troubling thing right now, and this is like my staff and I are talking about is like, all the AI stuff that's like coming through and the pitches that I'm getting from AI companies to like, we could write your pitch. We could write your bios. We could write this article. We could, and it's like, dude, that's like the opposite of what it should be. You know, mm. like how do you convey true emotions through artificial intelligence? I don't know. And I don't, and it is scary because if this is the future, <laughs> like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, no, you know, like, I, I don't know. Um, I think in, you know, on a, as a more specific space, I still think it comes down to personal relationships. Um, even the, the publications that had brick and mortar stops in New York city for press days or LA brick and mortar stops for, um, press days there, they're not, they're not there anymore. They didn't come back after COVID. You know, we've, I can tell you, we've had some of our biggest artists on our roster come through and be like, okay, you know, normally you'd have like a three day press tour, six stops a day, everything from acoustic sessions to interviews to social takeovers and now it's like we could do it in four hours because there's like that little of things to do so you have mm -hmm. to be more creative it's like okay well while you're in New York let's shoot content and um let's do some other things so it is like slightly scary I think like at the end of the day like feeling like you have less outlets to go to um that being said I feel like in the past two weeks like print two print publications have come back like NME magazine just came back and I hmm. think they're reviving paper as well um so fingers crossed that like the the tactile like print media continues to grow um but yeah I think in terms of like the current state of the the PR industry um yeah, I just like pray that this AI thing isn't like a thing for forever, you know, and that it does sort of go away. And I don't think it's going to. I, I think that's just like wishful thinking, but I, I will never let someone else write my pitch for me unless it's like someone that works a big picture and I need like a hand. But right. And I think that's the interesting thing, though, is like I'm glad that you brought up AI because that is you know obviously a concern for so many professions right now. And I mean, I, I, I use it as a tool. I mean, you know, honestly, like it's definitely not going away. Like it definitely is going to be part. I know of of our and I feel like I'm going to need to like lean into it eventually. Right. Know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go without kicking and screaming though. I'll say that. Yeah. But the thing too, is that to keep in mind is that there's a difference between letting AI just doing the entire press release 
itself and then using AI as a tool to help you write the press release. So it, it's still in your own words, but you're you're using the tool to assist you into developing it. So for example, biggest one by far is research, right? You can do Google searches, you know, or just general engine search engine, you know, results all the time, but your results are going to vary and you have to sell up through the different articles where instead you can use a service, you know, AI to basically say, this is what I'm specifically looking for, for research. And then boom, it just you know, condenses it all down for you. And that would normally would take you maybe 10, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever the case is of research can be done within, you know, within seconds. Like that's where the, the value is. Or if you are, you know, having writer's block, you're like, I can't figure out how to really convey this. You can use AI to basically help you write things out, those different sections and not to necessarily copy and paste verbatim, but, oh, I really like the way it said it put these things together, right? Or you can say, okay, can you do five different variations on this and then put these things down? I mean, I do that for the, for, you know, for even for Creatives Prevail podcast. Sometimes the titles are, you know, I also modify them a little bit, but sometimes it comes straight from AI. Sometimes the descriptions, some of the things I put in there are from AI, but many, you know, but it's also my voice like I still modify it and sometimes it doesn't produce anything good and I'm like I don't like anything that it produced here so I'm just gonna go and write on my own but it, it helps me go through that process because sometimes it'll save me an immense amount of time which is really what it comes down to is is, is ultimately its goal is not necessarily to be a complete replacement is to help you save t just like you were talking about before about having a, the database of contacts in a book that you get every you know two weeks right how much quicker is now for you to query an online database to get that information, right? It's like, it saves you so much time. And that's where I see AI fitting in is that it's meant to save you time because eventually what's going to happen. I mean, I've already witnessed this myself is that if nobody, if somebody took it from like ChatGPT is a perfect example. ChatGPT has a specific voice to it. So if you just take ChatGPT verbatim and copy and paste it and send it to somebody else who knows ChatGPT's voice, they know that you just literally use ChatGPT to write it. So, so if they people are gonna, are people are already like it's not they will they are already catching on if they if you're using those tools. I imagine, yeah, especially for like college professors and things like that. Like mm -hmm. people have to write speeches, but I don't know. I, I I'm not there yet. <laughs> I will listen to a record over again. I will like, I will do full other forms of inspiration before I do that. I'm not there yet. Maybe. Talk to, me everyone, here. Talk to me here. Maybe I'll be, I'll have a different outlook. Maybe be like, oh yeah. Like that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, and it's, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I, I would say this. I mean, not, you know, I'm a very optimistic person, but at the same token, also very realist is that will this eventually replace some jobs? I think eventually at some point it will, especially the lower level jobs. Um, but what I think will happen is that those jobs will get essentially replaced with higher level thinking jobs instead, where now you have to know how to use AI technology to get the work done. And um, one of the things that I like to talk about uh, when discussing AI is that there is a scene from, you remember the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton version? Yeah. Charlie's dad in that movie was uh, um, a toothpaste cap inspector where he would make sure that the, the toothpaste caps look right and that they were, if they're not good, they would bring them home, right? And then eventually got his job got replaced by a machine, right? Yes. But then at the end of the film, he became an engineer that fixed the machine that replaced his job. 
So his skill level went from just testing and making sure caps were, were correct to actually having, you know, understanding engineering and now fixing machines. So his skill level jumped, right? And his, his value jumped because of the fact that that machine replaced him. So that's always, I like to use that as analogy. And yes, it is scary because we don't know ultimately what's going to be done. And it, no question can be abused by so many people. And that, I think that's the scariest part is like, is, is using this type of tool because it is a powerful tool in an ethical way. I think that's the, really the questions we really need to ask ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm too scared of it still. <laughs> well, we'll end on a much brighter note. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions to wrap this up here. Um, first question is first concert that you ever went to. My brother took me to see Green Day when I was 11 years old at NASA Coliseum. Okay. One of the best days of my life and like crazy stuff went down that day. I, I ended up, I didn't tell him, but we, we were, we were in the seats and then, and then the GA was like the rink essentially. And then when the lights went off, I ran and hopped the fence and went into GA and I didn't even tell him I was doing it. So like in hindsight, I don't know what I was thinking. I got in, he ran after me and they stopped him. And he's like, my sister just ran in there. I have to go. And he like pushed through and got in. And then I was like, I want to go to the front. And he like put his arms around me and pushed through all the way to the barricade. And I was like a peanut. I hadn't even had a growth spurt yet. Uh, I think I was probably in fourth grade or third grade or something. And I had glasses on and a crowd server kicked my glasses off. And then I ended up having like a panic attack because I couldn't breathe because so many people on top of me and I passed out. And then I passed out, got crowd surfed to the front, woke up in the hallway with my brother screaming at me, pouring water over my face, trying to wake me up. But it was like the best night of my life. <laughs> that is honestly, like, I love all everyone's first concert stories. That's probably one of my favorite. I'm not going to lie. That was so I'm like, I'm so grateful to him that he took me because, I mean, they were my favorite band, but still like, what a first experience. Like, I'm, when I was saying when I was younger, my parents did take us to like, um, Actually, no, I was thinking I was older when my parents took us to Jan Jackson. I was like, I think in eighth grade. But yeah, that, that was my first concert. Okay, that's really good. Crazy. Do you have a go-to song uh, to put on in the car, singing or not? Sing, but do you have like a go-to song that you like to put on in the car? If I'm in a mood, like if I'm like sad or if I'm happy, I feel well, like it, it would vary. Depending I'll say happy. We'll, we'll, we'll say happy. The other day I was trying to just play. So I'm taking my daughter and my niece to see the, it's the offspring, some 41 simple plan. And so I've been trying to play songs from it. Um, and I was explaining, just kind of going down memory lane. And I said, Oh my gosh, like I, I remember like getting my first, uh, my first truck that I would take onto the beach and I, and getting like my beach permit and I would play like newfound glory, like my friends over you just like, that summer it was like the song of the summer for me and I played it a thousand times in a day and I played it for her and I feel like that's a good that has a good memory for me I could put it on at any time um yeah it's so that's such a tough song that's such, such a tough question sorry because there's so <laughs> many songs that just mean so much to me but I feel like that was the most recent one that I was kind of telling her about so maybe that one okay if you were only to be able to give one piece of advice to somebody that is looking to have a successful career in the music industry, what would that one piece of advice be? I would say work as hard as you can 
in every, no matter if that job is stuffing envelopes, if that job is delivering mail, if that job is answering phone calls, just like give 110% because it stands out. And, you know, maybe someone at the highest point of the company won't see it, but like word will spread so fast. And if you're going to do it, like you might as well just like give your all, you know? So I think uh, for me, it's like, if I always would say like, even in my internships, is there anything I could do before I go? Like, is there any, anything else that you need before I go? I would end every day by saying that because everyone needs help. You know, we, it's, and some people struggle with delegating more than others, but like, if you're truly there, like, Hey, how can I help you? Really? How can I help you? Like, I mean it, I'm not just saying it um, to just say it. I would say that just like work as hard as you can in whatever role it is. And I'll, um, I have a, I have a part two, but go for it. Part two. My part two is just make sure that you're actually doing something that you love because then it won't feel like work. And just like, if it takes you longer to figure that out, if it takes you, you know, trying different things to know why, well, I didn't love this. I didn't like this. I didn't hate this. Like, but definitely try to do something that you find yourself loving because you only have one life. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to chatting with us. I you really do appreciate it. I feel like you sparked, you asked great questions and you sparked like memories that I had like buried deep down below. So it's nice to sort of bring those to the surface. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.